Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? You know that sound. It is the Unfiltered Band. Means yes, another episode of Unfiltered coming your way right here, right now. This one will officially go down as episode number 249. You can get on board the Unfiltered Revolution 2, 4, and 7, 365. It is easy, whether it be on Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your better podcasts, or by getting on board the train over on X, the artist formerly known as Twitter, if you will, at Casey Stern. Get on board, give a follow, jump up into the bio, and follow through to the YouTube channel where you can watch all 248 into now 249 episodes, the guests, the rants, the lists, predictions, and much, much more from Unfiltered over the last couple of years. It is good to have you and the Unfiltered band, who we thank, as always, for being with us as well. Lots to cover. Been a little while because we're in kind of a bit of those doldrums where the Super Bowl happens, everybody takes a deep breath, and then pitchers and catchers report, but not much going on yet at camps other than a lot of pictures and photos, full spring training, getting into gear here over the next week or two. We'll do a lot on the baseball side leading into the season, so we'll get into that, but I want to touch on a number of things today, including pitchers and catchers, get into NBA All-Star just a little bit and kind of an overview, and start with the UFC, because as a fan of the UFC, I have watched all these pay-per-views. I don't even know if I've missed one, to be honest. Even when I was on the road covering other sports, I would at least watch it on replay. Most of them I've seen live. And we're going back to the original Ultimate Fighter season with Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner. So I don't even know how many years that is, 16, 17 years ago, whatever it is. That's how long dedicated. And there aren't many times I am this jacked up for a main event of a pay-per-view as I am for UFC 298. So I want to get into that as well. As always, you can comment, whether on Twitter or X or on the YouTube comments or anywhere else. You want to jump in and uh, conversate along the way, as we are, as always, presented by our good friends at Bet Online. They are your number one source for your sports betting needs, latest odds, lines, matchup reports for basketball, baseball, boxing, golf, everything you got, name it, they've got it. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way Get all your wagers. they got live betting, favorite casino and card games, all available to play right now, right from your phone. So head over to the website, use your mobile device to sign up today, get on all the action, and remember to use this promo code. It's BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, where you get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It is bet online where the game starts as I get started here. And I want to kind of touch on the other Bouts here at 298. Everybody talking about UFC 300. Let me just kind of touch on that for a second. This has been, and I, I assume that we'll have an end to this, an end game by the time we get to the end of Saturday, Saturday night into Sunday. Dana White already saying, and basically throwing out there that maybe at the press conference post-fight, he's going to announce what we're going to get for the main event for UFC 300. Clearly, there have been a lot of problems in trying to put this together. And the biggest problem of all is the timing. The Bilal-Leon fight is not a fight they can have as a main event of UFC 300. Now, where the UFC really screwed this up is they could have easily had that be the co-main event of this event and had no problem. John Wei Lee title fight, you've got that title fight. Then you just put on a banger for the fans for the BMF title they give me five rounds of Max Holloway and Justin Gaethje, and everybody would have been eating it up. That would have been fine. 
You could have put it as the co-main event of this fight. They certainly knew well enough in advance. And you could have either switched from 299 or initially just put O'Malley and Cheeto on the main event here. And then with the BMF. And then with John Wei Lee. And then with, of course, the Oliveira and Sarukian fight, which is amazing. And everything else you got on there, all the way down to Figueredo and Garbrandt, who are going to curtain jerk with this thing. And you would have been fine there, too. But they waited and they waited because Dana put out, and his ego is so big, he put out these expectations of having this unbelievable, crazy, greatest pay-per-view anybody's ever seen. And then everybody's waiting for, like, you know, the return of Ronda Rousey or the return of Brock Lesnar. Or, you know, they're even calling John Jones, who's not ready clearly with an injury, although you wonder with a paycheck if he would be. And they're trying to get him in this as well for 300 right? It seems like it's got to be Izzy against DDP. Now, what is the holdup for that? It's probably twofold. One, Izzy said he wasn't going to come back this quickly. He joked that I don't think he was serious about being out to what, 2027 or whatever he initially said. But for him to come back earlier, he wants to get paid. And he knows that he's got him by the balls because they need a made event. And more importantly, they need him. Even DDP Chimaya, for me, not as big as DDP and Izzy. The history they've got together. And Israel Adesanya is as big a star as the UFC has had over the last number of years. It would make sense for him to be the guy who was on the main event and in the, in the lights here for 300, right? The other part is DDP knows he's got them. Now, the last time he turned them down because he didn't want to jump in early, they got all mad, but that's certainly his prerogative. He didn't think he was ready to go into a fight with Izzy, which Strickland took and ends up winning the belt and gets the middleweight strap. But now he's in a position where he's the title holder, and he can go back and say the same thing. Hey, look, <clears throat> clearly full fight camp, you saw what I could do. I'm not going to jeopardize Adesanya, who I want to beat, who I think I could beat, in this grudge match because I don't have long enough a period of time to get ready. I'm not going to do that. So I think they're holding out for money. I think it eventually becomes Izzy DDP, but we'll see. Hopefully we get an end to this drama, this melodrama, this craziness by the time we hit Sunday, or at least early Sunday morning. Let's talk about what leads up to that. Just a couple of notes on some of the other fights here at 298. I think the Ian Gary, Jeff Neal fight is going to be entertaining. Jeff Neal usually willing to get and in, in get into a fist fight. His fight with Rotmanov with Shavkat was one of the best fights I thought of last year. But I expect Ian Gary to be too pinpoint in his accuracy and, and his striking. And with the leg kicks, which almost put Magny out literally. And I, and I believe that he'll get the win here. <clears throat> Maybe as he referenced it at the media day that he had just a couple of days ago, setting up perhaps a fight against Kobe, Kobe Covington, which clearly would sell and which would be a striker versus grappler kind of a matchup and would be something that maybe could be a main event of fight night, let's say, on some UFC card, hopefully not the Apex, which is the doldrums. The Cejudo and Marab fight, I think Marab's going to win this fight. Cejudo has put too much pressure on himself. He retired when he shouldn't have, or maybe he should have. Either way, it's his choice. But when he came back, clearly it was for money. He lost the fight with Aljo, and for I thought he lost the fight, but he ends up losing for a ridiculous reason because he won the last round, and a judge somehow gives that to Aljo, and that ends up being the difference. So technically, I guess, theoretically, he should have won the fight. Didn't, and doesn't get the shot with O'Malley. Aljo does. O'Malley wins the title, and now he's trying to set up that match, and he's still got 
you know, visions or delusions of grandeur of going up. Because I don't think anybody thinks Cejudo can go beat a Volkanovski or a Teporia. I don't expect that he could beat a Max Holloway either, to be honest. But I just think too much pressure, if you look in the past, of guys who have put this kind of pressure on themselves to say, if I don't win this fight, I'm going to retire. It is too difficult. I don't care what it is in life. I remember 20 years ago, <clears throat> I guess longer than that now, almost 30. I had a sales job where I was not doing very well. And it was it was just not going well for me. And I remember my boss saying to me, he pulled me into his office and he said, if you don't get a sale this weekend, you won't be here on Monday. I got to let you go. And clearly I didn't. And I was gone. But there was no way I could get a sale because in sales, for anybody who does it of any kind, I ended up doing it and having some success for years that followed before I got into this industry back in 2003, 2004. But anybody who's been in sales, if you put that pressure on the client or on the customer, forget it. You got no chance. You can't then do a takeaway for those who are in the business and you can't then go act like, you know, you don't need this. No problem. Because that pressure then gets put on that client, that customer. Well, if you're in a fight, I can't even imagine because I'm not in combat sports. But the pressure on if I lose this fight, I'm going to retire. And that never seems to go well. And the fact that he's put that out in the universe and in the ether, the stuff with Eric Albarracy and this coach and all this nonsense that they've done the last week with the firing and not firing, not a big fan of any of that. I don't think it's going to be the most exciting fight in the world, but I think Marab's going to win at 30-27, and I think Marab's going to end up being a guy who puts himself at least in position for O'Malley should he beat Cheeto or for Cheeto should he beat O'Malley. I think Cheeto would fight Marab. I'm not sure if O'Malley would, but I think Cheeto would rather have Sanhagen for the rematch, and I think O'Malley would rather fight Sanhagen for the matchup, so it may be Corey next either way. We'll see, but I think Marab will take this fight. Co-main event is really interesting for me because Robert Whitaker, he looked bad against Drakus. I mean, he looked beatable. He looked old. We've never seen Bobby Knuckles look that way. This is a dude who always has had that, that pressure that he puts on and that motor, and it was put on him, and eventually Drakus put him out. How does he recover from that? Paulo Costa, we haven't seen in two years. You know about all the different things, and I'm not going to spend time on this podcast doing that today, of why he hasn't been in the octagon or what's gone on the last couple of years with, you know, the staff infection the last time. But what about the, you know, what happened before that, before he was even, you know, booked against Chemayev? And does he pull out too often and all of those sorts of things? End of the day, guy's got a lot of power. We saw it against Rockhold. Really, that fight was great because it was about the heart of Rockhold, who ended up having it be his last UFC fight, staying in the fight and not getting knocked out. But I don't know, outside of a couple of threats in the third round, anybody thought he was going to win it. Costa had put the hurting on him. Just look at what Rockhold's face looked like, even though it wasn't as bad as Mike Perry did to him in bare knuckle in BKFC. But I think when you look at this fight, it's really interesting because I don't know what's going to happen or which way to go. I'm going to go with Costa here. I am a little bit worried. You know, Robert Whitaker has been around a long time. He's been in a lot of fights. He's not old, but it's like, you know, talking about Felix Hernandez when he was only like 28 and being like, oh my God, look how many innings he's thrown. And it's still innings, even though he's only been around 10 years. Max Holloway's not that old. Been around a long time because it seems like he'd been fighting forever. And I'm just, something about me is a little bit worried about watching Whitaker get touched up in a spot where I don't think, you know, that wasn't Josh Emmett's right hand 
that put him in that spot. And I, I, I'm a little bit fearful of that. And I, I just have a weird feeling. I think Costa's going to get him here. I, I like both guys personally, and I think they're they're both great. I think Whitaker is one of the nicest dudes in the sport, but I'm going with Costa. Main event is fascinating. Number of levels. Volk didn't make a mistake to go fight Islam because he took a shot at greatness. He already had his featherweight belt and toe, so you know he's not going to lose that. And he probably got paid a bazillion dollars to go take that fight on 11 days' notice because they had to satisfy that Abu Dhabi card. It's really important for them and for the UFC in that relationship. And they had to put on a good fight, and that was the guy. I mean, they had even called Dustin Poirier and others, but Volk was the one and was their top choice. And to go get that, who heaven knows how much money he got paid, right? So not a mistake. But now, mentally, does it do anything to him? Now, when you compound that with the fact that when you go back to the three Holloway fights, you go back to Yair, you go back to any of the matchups that Ilya has, uh, that uh, Volk has had, and you go watch the kind of lead up, there's been confidence, but everybody's talked about going in, you know, Volkanovsky's the greatest featherweight of all time, or Volkanovsky's a puzzle, but I think I could figure it out because. I think I have the skills because. I know I have the skills even because. I know I'm the best fighter. I'm here to prove it, right? That's fine. Now he's got, coming up a knockout where he got head kicked, and I understand that, by a guy who's pound for pound, in my opinion, Islam right now, number one in the world, in any weight class. Despite all that, now that little tinge of like lack of confidence, I don't care what you do for a living, it's a big deal, people. And now you come into the fact that he is hearing and seeing, and we just saw it yesterday at the, at the presser, as they do this here on uh, Friday. You look at Ilya, and it seems like Ilya doesn't think. He knows he's going to beat Volk. He knows he's going to knock him out in the first round. Those two things may not matter if Volk gets off to a good start. It may not matter if Volk finds a way to close the distance and do the things he always does in the first round of a fight. You saw him take Yair down, I think, in recollection, maybe two, three minutes into that fight. He, he just finds a way, right? But this is not a bigger guy. It's a guy who's not that, you know, really kind of unorthodox, but like Volk is kind of good at everything, can work on the ground, but probably going to do a lot of his work on the feet, slick with the boxing and with the counters and with the fakes and feints, same that the Volk is, but probably has more power than Volkanovsky. If he lands a jab that loosens up Volk early or finds a way to avoid a takedown and put on a good counter shot, that gets to Volk early, not necessarily rocks him, but just even kind of gets that glimmer of doubt in there. Then will it pull in what happened versus Islam? Will it pull in all the talk about Ilya? And then will that doubt for the first time in Volk's career? Cause I don't think he had any, even 11 days notice people. Will that doubt come in for the first time in his career? And where does that play a factor? Those are a lot of big questions. But for me, when I look at this fight, When I look at a Volk who is, look, 35 or not, he's in tremendous shape. When I look at a Volk who not that long ago, when he had a regular fight camp against Islam, who I think is the best in the world in any weight class, almost beat him and had top control, was mounting him practically in the fifth round, or maybe he actually did, of that fight. When I think about a Volk who, after that loss, came back and waxed Yair, who everybody thought was dangerous. When I think about the fact that he has beaten Max Holloway three times, a guy who would have a good chance to beat Taporia with his style and his boxing acumen, 
I got to take Volk here. I think it's a decision. I don't think it's going to be a finish. I agree with Tapori. I don't think the Volkanovsky has the power to finish him. Clearly, he's more of a TKO kind of a guy. Tapori is going to be too good on the ground, I believe, to get submitted. And I don't think Volk will knock him out. But I do think that he'll win enough rounds to win a decision. I think it's going to be a fun fight. I think it's going to be a really exciting fight. But I think you're going to know a lot early on. And not because I think it's going to be a knockout from either side. But if Volkanovsky gets hit early, if Taporia has a good start and wins round one, I think it's almost like in a baseball series where, you know, you know a team, like let's say the Minnesota Twins, just to use an example, never win in a postseason, right? When they get down, I had somebody tell me who covers them, when they were down 2-0 in a series, uh, it was a five-game set a number of years ago, I don't remember what year, they told me that they had already lost on the plane before they got touched down for game three and they got swept because you could just tell they already knew in their head that all those things everybody says about the Minnesota twins over the years were going to come into fruition and all the doubt was going to creep in. And they lost. If Taporia can get off to a good start and win round one and get Volkanovsky's attention, it may put the doubt in there and that seed enough where Taporia ends up having a chance to knock him out and win this fight. But I'll take Volkanovsky. Going to be amazing. UFC 298 coming up in Anaheim on Saturday night. Can't wait for that. Want your thoughts and comments? Give me your predictions on that. Let me know on Twitter or X at Casey Stern. And uh, be sure to jump up into the bio. Get on the YouTube channel. Like, subscribe, tell all your friends, and give me your comments on that too. I'm going to delve into baseball a lot here over the next number of weeks, obviously, we're going to do some team previews, have some folks in who cover the clubs. We're going to do a lot of stuff kind of getting ready for the season. But for me, what pitchers and catchers is always about, outside of like position battles, which are amazing, because you kind of get to you know, see who can kind of win out and make a team, and those happen. These, to me, are always about the new faces or familiar faces in new places. When I was covering it, and for 15 years, got a chance to cover all these spring trainings. What is the best part? One of the best parts of, of my life, forget about my career. I, I enjoyed it as much as anything. When you get to see her in there the first time in, in, in Anaheim, well, even though it was in California, in, in uh, Arizona, but with the Angels, and, and looking at Albert Pujols in another uniform and just being like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Like, how strange is this? It was like seeing Emmett Smith in like an Arizona Cardinal uniform. It's just weird, right? Watching Otani and seeing him there, seeing, you know, Juan Soto in a Yankee uniform here in a couple of days, getting to see those things. That to me is always my favorite part because I always find it kind of fascinating, you know, to envision what it's like. And we use those in video games to kind of trade players, but it's always an amazing part to me. I'm curious, are you into spring training games? Do you watch them? What's your favorite part of spring training? Obviously, if you have a chance to get down there, it's always amazing to go with families. It's where players are at kind of their, their most serene and peaceful, as long as you don't get them at 7 o'clock in the clubhouse in the morning, which I've had to do for many years, for autographs, for getting a chance to talk to them. It's really kind of a great time if you haven't been out there to Florida, Arizona. I, I absolutely recommend that you do that with your friends and family. But I'm curious, what is your favorite part? As we look ahead, because we're going to break down all the teams and look into all that. What's your favorite part of spring training? What, let me know. Give me in the comments on Twitter or X at Casey Stern. Jump up into the YouTube uh, channel and let me know there in the comments as well to this video. I'm curious, baseball fans, I want to know. I want to touch on this from the NBA All-Star perspective. Coming in the NBA for years, being at these, the events are really cool to go to go to one of the coolest things I got to do 
was being right on the floor in the, those folding chairs in the first row, not even actual seats for uh, a slam dunk comp uh, contest. It was the one in New Orleans. I don't remember what year that was, but a few years ago, right? When you get a chance to go to these events live, they're amazing. And I know that covering them, you, you talk them up, and I know I did it. You talk them up in these pregames for how amazing they are. And, oh, my God, these events are going to be crazy, and this is going to be the best one. But does anybody really give a crap about the slam dunk contest when you look at the names in it? I remember when the guys who were in it were great players. I remember the late Kobe Bryant. I remember Michael Jordan. I remember the greatest dunker, in my opinion, the NBA has ever seen. And it's neither of those or the great Dominique, but it's Vin Carter. I remember all of those, right? We think about Dr. J. We think about all of the guys. And yeah, there were Brent Barry's Bones, my former broadcast partner. And there were other you know, guys who weren't great players who were in there. But you got to get some names in there. And for all these things that the NBA likes to do, and I like what they're doing with, with uh, Inescu and, and with Curry and trying to kind of do some different things. And everybody likes the three-point competition. And all that's fine. The celebrity game is what it is. Take it or leave it. But in the actual game, nobody plays hard. I mean, the last one was an absolute disaster. Whether you go back to East-West or you go to World and America or you're sitting there, no matter what, how you slice it with team names and picking captains, and they've tried it all, if the guys don't play, and outside of Giannis, nobody does, if they don't play hard, nobody cares because terrible hockey is bad to watch, but I can watch you on a breakaway and maybe it's interesting, maybe not. Terrible Pro Bowl was always brutal. The only thing good about it ever was the players got to go to Hawaii, Right. Still going to skills and going to flag football and all that seemed to make sense. None of these can ever be the baseball all-star game. You know why? Because baseball all-star game is one-on-one. -on -one. And I've talked to pitchers and hitters about it. No matter what they say, American National League or whatever, I don't want that guy to beat me. I don't want him to strike me out. I don't want this guy to hit a home run off me. There's that mano a mano. You don't have that in an NBA all-star game. You have guys who don't play any defense, try not to get hurt, get a couple of flashy plays. They score a million points. They don't even play defense anymore in the real league. How the hell do you think they're going to play it in the game? It's absolutely horrid. It is horrific. It is brutal. If you're going to have that, at least give me a slam dunk competition that I could get jacked up about, that I could get excited about. Give me names that are great names. Find a way. Find an incentive. The NHL skills competition was terrible. They did a great thing this year, put a million dollars on the line. Connor McDavid won it, but it was great. And it was way better than it had been, in my opinion. Need some tweaks. A couple of the events were kind of weird, but it was very much wide world of sportsy, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. I, I liked that. It was, I was into it. It was fun. I watched it for three hours. It was great, right? If you go ahead and you incentivize with money, and I know these guys got tons of money and more than hockey players, and I get it but find a way through their charities or who knows what or however to incentivize them getting in there. I mean, what are they afraid of? They're afraid of not winning. They're afraid of, you know, making a fool out of themselves. They're not going to get hurt. We got to find a way to get these better players in there. I'm curious your take on that. Twitter or X, let me know, because to me, they're not enough big names that are in this slam dunk competition for me to care. And with the game being so horse poop, you got to give me a reason to care. It's just not good enough. Not good enough. Your thoughts on all that? Let me know. We'll have plenty on the baseball side. We're about to ramp that up. So here over the next three, four weeks, we'll have a lot of interviews and a lot of conversations with people around different camps. If you have other topics you want to hit, let me know. About to get into knee-deep in baseball, but I wanted to hit on a couple of things with NBA All-Star and with UFC before we get into that. Enjoy your weekend. Happy belated Valentine's Day to all of you. 
We here at Unfiltered, as always, are presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.